people like to eat real food. They don't want to be tricked. They don't want to be... I mean, some people want to be wild and, and, and have their mind blown or, you know, they love the, a clever twist. And I just think, it's, I, I don't think that way about food. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Atlanta Foodcast and welcome to part two of my conversation with Chef Steven Satterfield of Miller Union. If you haven't had a chance to listen to part one just yet, I'd highly recommend giving it a listen to hear some of the amazing parts of Chef's story. But much like part one, you're listening to some music from Sealy, which is Chef Steven's band. The track on this episode is the Kangaroo Communique from the album Winter Birds that came out back in the year 2000. And it's one of my absolute favorites. It's an honor to bring you guys the last half of this conversation. So without further ado, here's part two, friends. I want to spend some time talking a little bit just about, you know, your just vegetables and especially, you know, the um, you're bringing like this, my, my favorite story, just like in hearing about Miller Union and finally getting my first experience at your restaurant but your seasonal vegetable plate is uh it's the perfect celebration of just that seasonal vegetables and it's uh i I don't want to even talk about it anymore that that just in hearing your description but like just just talk to me about like you know how how that is on the menu and how you actually create this dish sure well I mean, so vegetables are important to us at Miller Union. Um, obviously, we we spend a lot of time thinking about them, and and we try to really pay attention to the seasons and be seasonally correct at all times. In fact, when you walk in the door, um, when you look down our hallway, there's a chalkboard that once used to have farm names on them, but we work with so many farms now that we couldn't list them all. Oh man! So we decided to change it to um, so we didn't want to leave anybody out. We decided to change it to what's in season. And um, that's really my philosophy about cooking is you should just cook with what's available and season at the time and figure out how to use all those things. Um, I think vegetables have, they're having their moment right now. And um, there's even a vegetable category for cookbooks with the James Beard Foundation that was not there five years ago. So it's awesome. Um, or maybe was maybe started five years ago, but it's in the past five years. And it's just, um, you know, the way I think about it is this is our palette. And like, if we're painting this, this, these are the colors that we have to work with. Right. And so a lot of the vegetables are sometimes incorporated into an entree and then we'll take, we'll isolate that vegetable and serve it as a side as well. And then other, other vegetable sides, um, will be featured just because they're great and they don't have to be incorporated into a dish. Um, but the, our seasonal vegetable plate are always going to be our five sides at dinner um, at the bottom of the menu. And they rotate, you know, based on what's, what's available at the time. And, you know, it, and you can take a snapshot every three months and it'd be completely different. Um, so fun. So like currently we have, like we just put fried okra on and we have, um, some grilled squash with cucumber and peach and Vidalia. Um, we have, it's kind of like the end of the green season. So we're still holding on to those and we're serving like kale and shards sauteed together with the stems. Um, we have some beautiful roasted beets that have a little acidity to them. 
And um, sometimes we'll do a grain like farro or uh, we're doing um, some shishito peppers with oh, grilled green beans and new potatoes. So, I mean, it just keeps changing. Yeah. Um, but we're like, we're at the, the cusp of tomato season. So those are coming on soon, which everybody gets excited about. And, you know, when we do tomatoes in the summertime um, at Miller Union, it's something that comes off of the expo side, which is the, where I am. So I'm, I'm selling all the food to the dining. I'm checking all the plates and giving it to the servers to take to the right, diners. Right, right. Um, but I like to oversee the tomatoes. And so I'll have them on my station and I'll, I'll cut them, season them, and just do a little olive oil or basil or something. I don't really like to do too much because when they're really good, they don't need much. Yeah. Just a little salt, really. And, and that's so much of every dish that I've ever had from Miller Union. It just seems that there's such a careful approach to make it be as it is. And with, with such, such little, you know, just finicky little things of like adding an extra ingredient or another, you know, layer of, you know, intensity and, you know, acidity. It's just, it, it is what it is. And that it's just not the, it's not the common practice, but I think that's what makes it so beautiful. Well, I think that maybe comes from my architecture background because when you're taught about materials for building, um, you really have to use them in the way in which they show their best sides. So, you know, bricks are only going to be, you know, held together with mortar and they can only go a certain way, like they're building blocks, right? Um, steel is, has, offers a different approach or timber offers a different approach. Concrete, you know, yeah. is completely different. And so all these materials have these like innate properties that, um, that really allow for different expressions, but they are finite within each material. And I feel the same way about ingredients that um, there are, they have certain properties that really show well. And if you highlight those, um, then you can really show off these ingredients in their best fashion. And I'm, I'm not a big fan of high manipulation. I think um, a lot of sh young chefs and a lot of chefs that are into like, um, kind of modern food and, and um, just there's, there's so much manipulation happening that sometimes they turn a certain thing upside down and you don't even know what you're eating anymore. And it, I have to say it kind of bothers me because I feel like it's sort of just, okay, we're going to flex our technique arm here, but what are you really showing me? Like you turned cabbage into a crispy noodle, but it doesn't taste like cabbage anymore. Or, you know what I mean? Like what? Yeah. So how am I supposed to know this is cabbage if I, if you never told me? Yeah. And that, I, I think I'm just kind of old school in that way. Like I'm definitely more of the, um, Alice Waters, Scott Peacock, yeah. you know, Edna Lewis school than, you know, some of these modernists that I, I just don't, I don't feel like, I want to create a magic show. Yeah. I just want to make a nice painting. Yeah. And you know, I, I read an interview one time that, you know, as, as a, you know, someone as, as a young cook, you know, you're creating this amazing dish and it's incredible and it totally fits within the menu. But if you're the only person that can create this dish on the team, like what does that actually teach everybody else? You know, but creating a, a seasonal vegetable plate or something that truly gives the, the, the stage for that item and that's that's such a, a replicable process because you're treating 
the vegetable, how it needs to be treated. And that's such a great sustainable way to teach people. This is, th- this is one way, but this is also the, from a purist standpoint, this is a very, this is a very true way to, to treat this item. And, right. you know, especially just from an education standpoint, that's huge. Yeah. Well, you'd be surprised though, because a lot of young cooks really don't, they don't want to make the kind of food I'm making. They want to, you know, do something exciting. Where Shame it, on them. You know, they want to use their tweezers and right. it's like, <laughs> and you know, and that's fine. I totally get it. But I, I feel like the food that I'm making is timeless. It would, it, it's good, you know, 20 years ago, it would be good in 20 years. It won't feel dated because it's just real food, you know? And I think people like to eat real food. They don't want to be tricked. They don't want to be, I mean, some people want to be wild and, and, and have their mind blown or, you know, they love the, a clever twist. And I just think, I, I don't think that way about food. Yeah. We have to eat every day. Yeah. And I want to create a special experience where, you know, everything was well considered, but we're not trying to like, you know, make something disappear. Yeah. <laughs> do you have tweezers in your apron? I actually do own a pair of tweezers and they're a great tool for certain things. But I don't wear them on me, and I don't use it. I don't use them every day. Yeah, it seems like it's just the. Uh, it's it's almost like a, a pair of like cufflinks. It's just like you just want to have them in there, and you know, it's almost like the. It's, or some it's people a use thing. some people use them for everything, right. and it becomes like <laughs> an extension of their fingers. Right. Like, why don't you just use your fingers? Yeah. Like just get in there, man. Use I your paws. I know. <laughs> you got to actually know what it feels like. You can't feel the world through a pair of tweezers. Yeah. Um, I. Uh, I want to know a little bit more about, you know, just, you know, there's something that that I think is really important and it might be a little lost on people, especially like maybe, you know, just a few of the generations, but talking specifically about slow food and your involvement in slow food here in Atlanta and just the importance of this, you know, this movement, you know, it's, it's not just an organization, but really being a movement. And, you know, so tell me a little bit about, you know, just, you know, your, your involvement there. Sure. Um, It's basically the idea of appreciating food, where it comes from, understanding where it comes from. Food is from farms. And um, and also there's such a rich history of food in Italy um, that they, you know, they were afraid that some of the traditions and the history would disappear if, if they let the gates open. But um, this organization was was born out of out of that idea of just kind of slowing down and, and appreciating food. Um, they do a lot of really great work around, um, and, and by the way, so Slow Food, it started in Italy, but it's an international organization, and right. it's a nonprofit. Um, there's Slow Food USA, which is based out of Brooklyn, and then there's Slow Food chapters all over our country, and all over the world. Um, they have a, a biennial gathering in um, Torino, Italy, and it's a global gathering of food. Um, there are people from all over the world that are there to, to basically experience um, many different things, including tasting food from around the world. Um, and they're usually very um, specific products that have some kind of history and cultural identity. Uh, they also, Slow Food developed the Arc of Taste, which is um, a program designed to stop the extinction of a species of fruit or vegetable or an oyster or anything that 
was cl close to disappearing from our earth. Right. And Ark, A-R-K, the Ark of Taste, like Noah's Ark. Um, all these products that they identify of being potentially, um, you know, disappearing, it's just a program to raise awareness and to also get some seeds saved and get them to growers so that they can continue to propagate and grow these fruits or vegetables or whatever they may be. Um, there are several items from Georgia that are on there um, and they go through the seasons. There's one, there's like a particular peach that almost disappeared called the Bell of Georgia Peach. Yeah. Um, the pawpaws on there. Um, just things that, you know, there, there's such biodiversity in our world, but we went through this period where everything became monocropped and, you know, it's like you have the Idaho potato and you have the red delicious apple and it's like there are thousands of varieties of apples and thousands of varieties of potatoes, but those are the two you would most commonly see 20 years ago. Now there's much more awareness about food and so that really helps and people want to have a variety and so that's part of what we try to do too is, you know, when we're working with these farmers, um, we have this ability to showcase certain ingredients that we can talk to customers about and tell them where we bought it. You know, this farmer actually sells these at Freedom Market on Saturdays and you can go get it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I'm the vice president of Slow Food Atlanta. I've been on the board for six or seven or eight years. I don't know. I lost count. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's, it's all volunteer. Everybody that is, serves on the board is, you know, they just put their heart and soul into it. And, and it's, you know, we meet um, every other month and we do several events. Like we have one coming up, the, um, the uh, ice cream social yeah. at Peachtree Road Farmer's Market. That's in August. And uh, I think it's August 11th or 13th, something like that. It's a Saturday, and tickets yeah. are on sale now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we do, we do a lot of other things. We, we, um, we're sending a lot of delegates to Terra Madre this year. So this, this year is a Terra Madre year. And I think every we, other year, right? Every other year. Yeah. So I think we have over 25 delegates from Georgia, which is the most of any state in our country. That's incredible. So we're really excited and proud that we have such a great and active community. A lot of the delegates are farmers, and it's important for them to go. Um, I went four years ago and it was life-changing. It was really, really an amazing experience. And you can go to lectures and you can go to um, demonstrations, you can go to luncheons with visiting chefs. Um, they had an Enoteca where you can taste wines from all over. Um, there's, there are booths for each country and each yeah, and you can you can go talk to them and read about what they're doing, yeah. and it it sounds like the most incredible experience. It's, it's really amazing, and and a lot of people don't even know what slow food is. So we're always trying to you know raise awareness about the organization, um, and I'm actually about to go to Denver in a couple of weeks to um, Slow Food Nations, which is a it's a North American gathering, um, mostly United States chapters, but I think we have some from Mexico and Canada if they'll let them in. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> He's got jokes, <laughs> but seriously. Uh, so yeah, it's great. I'm going to do a food waste dinner. So I proposed this last year to the, organi the organizers of Slow Food Nations. It, last year was the inaugural um, year and they want it to be an annual event in Denver. And I said, you know, if we want to really be true to slow food, 
let's think about all the waste that's going to be generated by anybody that's doing a demo or serving a meal for a crowd. There will be waste. And so can we just all focus on that for the weekend and maybe we turn the waste into a final meal on the last night oh, of man. the event? And so we did it, and it was really, really fun and very successful. We did a family-style dinner. There were about 10 chefs. Um, Big Green Egg was a sponsor, and they gave us each a station with a Big Green Egg so we could cook if we wanted to on the fly. And That's awesome. Um, there were some really neat things that happened, and I don't want to go into too much detail, but it was just an incredible experience. And, and the director of Slow Food USA came up to me after the event, and he said, Stephen, this has been the most rewarding Thing that we've done it's the most in line with our values and principles and we want to do it again so that's i'm going back to do that that's to, awesome to do that that's so and, cool. and it, we have more chefs now that are involved and uh um there's a chef in italy named massimo batura yeah. who um who is going to be attending this year and oh, he's man. coming to the dinner which is a really big deal for us because it's he's huge. the he's a big champion of fighting food waste and has done a lot to um, combat it in yeah. Italy, and also now he's doing some things here in the U.S. And so, we're really excited to to um, show him what we're doing with these ideas, and and I think it'll bring a new sense of um, inspiration to everybody that's involved. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, it, I just think that's that's such a great part of the work that you're doing here in Atlanta, and you know. I, I do think that there's a, an educational component to slow food to, to perpetuate it into the, the generations upcoming. And especially as people are getting into food, that it's it's less of the stage and it's more about the sustainability. You know, yeah. and, it's, and, um, and not, if I'm not already doing enough, I'm also the local leader of Chefs Collaborative Atlanta. Uh-huh. So it's also <laughs> a national nonprofit um, and they have a strong uh, arm of sustainability. So that's their that's their whole deal. And so everything is, you know, sustainable seafood and um, humanely raised meats and also eating less meat, smaller portions of meat, um, focusing on food waste um, and also creating a network of chefs. And so we have a local um, chapter basically, and there are several um, locals all over the, the country, and we all, we all know each other at this point, and we have an annual uh, chef summit where we do um, educational programming, and it's a chance for us to broaden our horizons about some of the latest hot topics. Um, and I also have worked with the James Beard Foundation this past year as, an, as part of an advisory committee to introduce a food waste curriculum to culinary schools. Oh, cool. So we were able to, um, it was a group of about 20 people and some chefs and some educators and some food waste experts where we worked with the James Beard Foundation and their impact program. And we um, helped shape this curriculum with our input. And even uh, in the final stages of it, they um, had a lot of us come up to New York City and film um demonstrations of making a dish that incorporates food waste so we can show the gastronomic side too. And it was really exciting um, program and it's rolling out this fall in culinary schools across America. That's so cool. Not every culinary school, but many of many select culinary schools. It's yeah. sort of in the beta version, but um, it's a really wonderfully designed program that is, has all these different learning modules that have 
not just information on a page, but also videos and lectures that are um, taped so that you, it's a variety of speakers and yeah. you, get, you get kind of a big picture. It's huge. You know, and I mean, again, like I, I just think it's, it's such a huge portion of being a diner, you know, really more on the eater side, the consumer side of you know, the, the educational aspect of where your food comes from. And everyone that I've spoken with, especially people I've had on the show, is like, you know, tell me a little bit about what our side should be. Like, what are the things that we can do to really help perpetuate the work of, of slow food, of, of, you know, just sustainability? And it's just know where your food comes from. You know, but also I think the work of slow food is understanding, you know, that the, it's also at risk of losing like a lost art, like the, the actual process of creating this yeah. item or growing this, you know, this, this well, varietal. And, and everything just keeps getting faster and faster. Right. People don't make time to eat a meal, you know, and I, we're all guilty of it. I mean, you know, it's like you just grab something and go because you're busy. We're all busy, busy, busy. And it's yeah. like to stop and appreciate food for a minute and think about where it comes from and and also be aware of where it comes from. A lot of Americans eat with blinders on. They don't want to think about a factory farmed chicken and they'll happily, you know, eat chicken from wherever and not even give it a thought. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm a, I am very passionate about supporting farmers that raise uh, chicken on pasture where they have access to sunlight and they can roam around and they can eat the things they would naturally eat. I mean, they get feed from the farmer as well, but they can eat insects and they go yeah. behind, you know, if they, it, like white oak pasture is a great example where they, their, their birds are, um, have access, you know, to the, the grazing area where the cows had gone through and that, and they break up the cow poop and it helps fertilize the ground yeah. and, and they, it's a natural system. Yeah. That it's, it's true ecology. It's exactly. amazing. But, you know, that's not the way chicken is raised in our country. Majority right. is in a really devastatingly disgusting situation. Yeah. And a lot of that's here in Georgia too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We're the, we're, we're the, we're the king of, yeah. of poultry production. Exactly. Yeah. So, man, but you know, like I just, I think that that work is, is just, um, you know, especially, you know, what we can do on our side and, you know, and you're just shifting gears a little bit back to Miller union specifically. And I mean, it's, it's, 10 years since you guys have been a restaurant, you know, or since well, you guys actually started. nine, we're, we're nine. We're, yeah. we're going to be nine in uh, November. Yeah. And so, I, I would love to talk a little bit about some of the things we do behind the scenes at the restaurant. Yeah. And you know, like I, I, nine years is, um, is such a, it depends on who you talk to, but for me, like that's such a long period of time to be doing the food that you guys are doing and the, especially just the restaurant that you and Neil have created, you know, nine years of, of being a business, like there's so much to unpack here, but it's funny too. Cause you know, in some ways it feels like an eternity in other ways, it feels like the blink of an eye. I mean, it has gone by quickly, but yet, you know, I've spent, I can't even tell you how many hours in that building. Um, but I do want to touch on sustainability within the restaurant. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we opened with a composting program. Um, and basically, we are able to compost any food scraps that we can't serve. Um, that includes post-consumer dining scraps. If, they don't want to, if the consumer doesn't want to take food home, we don't throw it in the landfill. We put it in our compost. Wow. So we can do... Um, meat and bones and vegetables and everything paper we only use um, we've always only used the um, straws and stirs that are compostable yeah 
So I know that's a hot topic right now, the plastic straws. Nobody yeah. should be using them because they're yeah. killing the turtles yeah. and everything else. And, you but know. what the world can do with potato starch is amazing. Yes, you know? exactly. And like, you can eat with it. <laughs> exactly. Um, we have always had a recycling program, including um, glass bottles, where the city has stopped taking glass. We found a different hauler that would, and we pay extra for it. We pay extra for our compost and our recycling because we care about the environment and we don't want to be dumping food into landfills and, and recyclables into landfills. You know, we feel like restaurants are a big impact on the environment. And so what, whatever we can do to negate our footprint, we want to try. Um, we also are, we also have our, um, used fryer oil turned into biodiesel. Wow. And um, we don't do it ourselves. We have someone that picks it up. <laughs> That'd be something else. We, we use uh, non-GMO uh, expeller press canola oil for our fryers. Uh, other than that, we only cook with extra virgin olive oil. Like We have a lot of high standards and principles that we have upheld since the very beginning. Um, and we feel it's important to, to keep those standards. And we do local whenever we can. You know, obviously we can't do that all the time we're a very busy restaurant and we have to supplement but we use turnip truck who is um, michael shank's uh, uh, farm delivery service as our primary uh, produce company so if they can get it locally originally they'll do that first and if they can't they'll get it from the state farmers market wow um, which is sometimes from an, an, a different part of the region, but we're all, we definitely only serve domestic food. We don't like to serve anything from another country just because it went too far. And um, we don't serve any artificial sweeteners. Uh, we don't use any chemicals in our food. Everything is just as pure as it can be. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, the first example that popped into my head is I, I remember the uh, beet red velvet cake that was on the on, on the pastry menu, on the dessert menu. And it's, you know, it didn't really click for the people that were with us. But it was fun explaining to them. It's like, think about when you've peeled a beet and you've picked it up with your bare hand. Your hand your hand is red for the next three days. Yeah. You know, it's like, but amazing dye. So if you want red velvet cake, it doesn't have to be made with some artificial, you know, yeah. food coloring. And the red food coloring is probably the worst thing for Oh, yeah, for you. exactly. It's, it, <laughs> yeah. it's immediately like carcinogenic or something yeah. terrible. But and that, that recipe is in Roots Leaf. Pamela Moxley, are my pastry chef, and I um, developed that together. I, I came to her... When I, because Roots Leaf is a seasonal vegetable book, basically. It's an omnivorous vegetable book, but it's all about the seasons. Yeah. And I asked her, I'm thinking about this idea of a cake made with beets, like a, in the style of red velvet, and do a goat cheese frosting because beets and goat cheese are a classic pairing. Yes. And, you know, you've seen it so many times. And, can't, you know, what do you think? And she was, she took it and ran with it. And it is, one of my favorite recipes. It's so good. Oh, and there's like she's doing the little cupcakes of it right now. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah and I, I remember it. Was, I remember it was plated. I mean, this was probably like a few years ago, but I mean, it was just it, it was just there's so much magic to unpack there of like knowing what's on your plate and then you know goat cheese on a dessert that's not just part of a plate paired with like you know something with bubbles. Like it right. was. It, it, there was just so much like 
head turning and like oh my gosh and like it's just such a fun dish yeah it's a good recipe and we actually had it um published in the new york times yeah after, after the book came out yeah it's man there's just so much like there's just like achievement and fun there but um i love that you mentioned roots leaf like you're nailing that like that question that i actually had for you so <laughs> it's it's been a little over three years since the book came out right 2015 yeah. yeah and uh I, I picked up a copy immediately and um you know, seasonal cooking is, I mean, again, maybe not top of mind for everybody, but you know, that was the, like your book and also just, you know, eating in your restaurant. And that was, that was one of the first places that I saw a really fun use for sorghum, like your sorghum glazed carrots, or especially seeing something like you don't throw away the fennel frond, you know, right. don't, don't throw them away. Like the stem might just look like garbage, but you know, here's a great way to use that. And if anything, they, they probably taste better. You know, I mean, they well, they, flavor. there's tons yeah. of flavor in there, but yeah. you know, I guess like if, if you never picked up, you know, your book, I mean, like luckily, I mean, I know it kind of cover to cover, but you know, the, that, that's an amazing tool to have in your kitchen. If you really want to approach like seasonal cooking. Like, Absolutely. Recipes. And I, I think, you know, my goal with Roots Leaf was I want this to be kind of like the Bible for the home cook. If they really want to engage in cooking with the seasons and maybe they are shopping at the market farmer's market and they don't know what to do with kohlrabi or carrot tops. And, you know, and obviously like the, the common ones are there, the tomatoes, the peaches, you know, yeah. the things that everybody love, but then some other, you know, some other ways to think about some of the fruits and vegetables in our world that maybe people just look at and don't know what to do with. So they pass it by. Yeah. And I think one of the hardest seasons to cook in seasonally is winter, but it's also one of my favorites because I love just the expression of all these different root vegetables and hearty greens and things like that, that there's, there's a lot you can do and you can really get so much flavor out of them, but people don't, don't, they're not as experienced with the rutabaga or, right. you know, <laughs> the parsnip or whatever. Yeah. So I know you've got like parsnip muffins, I think there's yeah. a recipe in there. Oh, they're and, incredible. Yeah. But I mean, like that's, that's just a fun thing. Like I, I, I think you, you approach the, the level of don't be scared of this. And like, let me show you why this matches up seasonally, but also how to handle this vegetable. So it's, it's got such a great marriage of like how you need to approach these vegetables. As yeah. Well. And, the, and also I would say in general, the recipes are really simple. I mean, most, most of them, oh, and the yeah. difficulty level is not too high. Yeah. It's definitely doable. So, um, I, you know, I encourage people if they're listening and they haven't picked up the book to check it out because yeah. it, I've had people write me letters from, you know, another place and just say, this book changed the way I cook. Yeah. And it, that's the most gratifying, satisfying thing you can get from a reader is knowing that you had that kind of impact on them. Yeah. No, it's, it's an amazing tool. And like, I've, I've loved cooking from it and I, I, I'd always hope to do it more, but, um, but you know, one of the, one of the other things I want to touch on here as, as we, as we wrap up, I, um, th there's something really great about, you know, last year and especially just being named, you know, one of the country's best chefs from James Beard. I mean, what, what an amazing accomplishment. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but you know, that's, Especially and you being nominated, I mean, since 2013 or, or even before that, I mean, just for, for your work at Miller Union, how has that changed the the atmosphere of the restaurant? And do you do you see that changing anything even further? Well, um, the physical atmosphere has changed because we have so many um, recognitions from the James Beard Foundation that we had to put a separate 
wall <laughs> just for them. <laughs> I mean, we had to put it, we had to dedicate a wall just for all the plaques. So we're very proud of that. It's right when you walk in. Uh, I was nominated five times in a row and won the fifth year. It was always very stressful, um, but exciting. And, you know, there's nothing really like going to the James Beard Awards. It is our Academy Awards, you know, and you see everybody that you know there and, and you know, you meet, make new friends and um, it's, an, it's an exciting experience. And, you know, they announce the, the winners live and you go up on stage and have to make a speech. I've never been more overwhelmed um, <laughs> and emotional, you know, it's yeah. an incredibly emotional moment. Um, well, especially Anne Quattrano handing you the award. Yeah. Oh <laughs> you know, my like, God, that was amazing. Like you, you obviously are going to weep, you know, at yeah. some point. Like yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. such an emotional experience. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But um, she, yeah, that was a that was a pretty amazing uh, moment to have her put that medal around my neck. Yeah, and just um, you know, immediately after the restaurant was incredibly busy, we had our busiest year to date um, from June last year to now so wow we're we're kind of like still you know trying to catch our breath it's been a year now um and i don't have the title anymore but i always have that award so yeah <laughs> but man congratulations though i mean like yeah. it was just like i i was chatting with um I, I had someone on the show, uh, Lashita Perry. She's a pastry chef at the Four Seasons, and she was on a, a, a Food Network show. And it was just like, you're always like, at least in some way, like I'm always so excited to see someone from the restaurant community here in Atlanta, like doing something where they're, you know, everybody's like seeing some great recognition, you know? And like, so watching you walk up on stage, I was just like, oh, I'm like fist pumping. And it's, like, <laughs> it's just yeah. so cool because, you know, like one of the, like the tagline that I kind of have on the Atlanta Foodcast is like, you know, there's so many people that are making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. And, you know, we, there, there's so much to tout. There's so much, you know, recognition, accolade, whatever. But, you know, something like Miller Union and the work that you're doing, like that, that to me unlocks the potential of what makes eating food so special. Not just good. I mean, you can eat good food all over the place, but it makes it something so special. So, I mean, I think that's, that's just like the icing on the proverbial cake is like, yeah the James Beard award, like, absolutely. You know, like that's the, there's, there's no question. Like that's, that's a, I mean, tour de force. So, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, that's it, awesome. It was, it, so, was, it was fun to see. Yeah. I mean, that's right now, one of the major highlights of my career for sure. And it's, it was an incredible moment and, you know, just to, and also an incredible amount of pressure afterwards too. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, now I'm the best chef in the Southeast right now. And, you know, people are flocking in here and we have to make sure we don't disappoint. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's a lot of pressure too. And, yeah. um, things are starting to kind of normalize and it's, it's also a, a big relief in that way as well. You know, like it's, it was just a crazy year. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, I traveled a lot too and, and, and was in higher demand than usual. So yeah. it was, a, it was an exhausting year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine, but, but I'm very grateful. Yeah. But man, just, I mean, again, just so, so fun to watch that. I mean, just to, like to see that, especially, I don't know, there's, there's something for me, it's like, I've dined in that restaurant and like, yeah. you know, it's, it, it's just something really fun to watch. So that was my first instance of like, I've actually eaten in this restaurant. And I, like, I, I feel like I know so much about his background. It was just, it was really, really cool. But yeah, um, but chef, thank you so much for being on the show. It, it's such an honor to have this conversation with you. And, 
Um, just with like the last, you know, couple minutes here, like, you know, what, what's going on at Miller Union? What's, what's happening next for you? Do you have another book that you're writing? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm actually going to, later this summer, I'm doing a um, culinary writing residency at a um, place called Hambage. And it is in the North Georgia mountains um, where I'm going to take two weeks off from work and focus on a new book concept. Very cool. So um, I'm just in the concepting phase right now, but I've been awarded a scholarship to go do this fellowship. So I'm wow. really, really excited about it. Um, Very cool. Most exciting to me is that I'm going to be in a cabin in the woods with no cell phone reception. That's it. Yeah. And I have a responsibility to come out on the other side with with something in my hands yeah you so. should just go full walden and like just build a cabin around you and then write your book <laughs> what and, a, yeah. um outside of that i mean you know always at the restaurant when i'm in town and and um working with my team and we're always trying to find new ways to discover flavor and freshen up but we also want to rotate through some of our classics and so it's a nice mix of um, old and new and high and low and, um, yeah, just plugging along. I mean, getting ready for our 10th anniversary next year, which we, we hope to have a maybe a big block party for that. So yeah. We'll see. It's going to be a lot of vegetables for everybody. That's going to be fun. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. we'll just have Rodney Scott come do whole hog barbecue yeah. or something. <laughs> we brought in a guest chef for our 10-year anniversary. Yeah. We brought in, you know, just, just Rodney Scott. Just, yeah. Just Rodney Scott. But... Oh man, that's Rodney. That's, if you're listening, yeah, I'm gonna send this to you. Yeah, <laughs> I'll send it to him too. He's um, he's the current best chef southeast. So. Yeah, I know. And man, what a I mean, just plugging even more for him. I mean, like you know, having his spot in you know the country, so to speak, and yeah. now like just being in Charleston, like it's awesome. I saw some yeah. really cool stuff from him on like Bon Appetit that was just really fun to watch. Definitely. So yeah, but great guy. Yeah, we'll send this to you, Rodney. So we love you. But <laughs> uh, Chef Stephen Satterfield such an honor to have you on the show again thank you so much thank and you. yeah we'll uh we'll see you soon i'll be at, i'll be at miller union i'd imagine holler really. at me yeah i will <laughs> <laughs> thanks again man see ya Hey, thanks so much for sticking around to the very end here, and we're going to end this episode with a little bit of news. There's another great Atlanta-based podcast coming to your listening ears very soon, and that's the podcast from Show ATL. Now, season one drops on Monday, July 23rd, and you're going to hear all about how these guys are highlighting Atlanta creatives of all different kinds from all over the city. And I'm actually sitting here with Parsa and Corrigan, the founders of Show ATL. How's it going, guys? Hey, Ben. Good to be here. And thanks for having us. So, Parsa, tell us a little bit more about what Show ATL is and a little bit more about the podcast. Absolutely. So, Show ATL is an Atlanta-based media company seeking to highlight creatives in our city from all different fields, art, design, music, fashion, technology, etc. What the podcast seeks to do is dig a little bit deeper and sit down with those individuals who are actually creating things in our city to understand uh, their work and what makes Atlanta such a cool and creative city. Awesome. And Corrigan, tell us a little bit more about who you guys have coming up on season one. Yeah, we're really excited about the guests from season one. Uh, just to name a few, we've got Michael Sponsel of Freedom Barber Co., Alex Vernon of Comeback Final, and you, Kylan, of Kylan Art. That's awesome. And, you know, I'm going to have a link up on the episode page where you guys can learn all about Show ATL, where to get all of the episodes. And I'm really, really stoked for you guys to listen to everything that you guys, these guys have coming out. So, Parsa, Corrigan, thanks again for being here. And we're, uh, we're really stoked to listen to Show ATL's podcast, man. Thank you.
Many thanks go out to Chef Steven Satterfield and the entire team at Miller Union for being a part of the show. If you have not had a chance to visit Miller Union just yet, be sure to check out the episode page or go ahead and make a reservation directly at MillerUnion.com. But until next time, I cannot wait to bring you guys more stories from local chefs, culinary entrepreneurs, and people who are making this city the greatest for eaters. I'm your host, Ben Getz. Thanks again for listening to the Atlanta Foodcast.